Hello, and welcome back to the bookcast. My name is D.L. White. I am an Atlanta-based author of romantic fiction featuring Black men and women. I've been using the bookcast to share short fiction and uh, new stories to reach a newer audience via audio. It's been pretty fun, and I figure I've got time and a microphone. It's been a minute since I have been in front of the mic. I'm a little bit rusty. I hope you'll forgive me because I do not want to edit. I've been away because I've been writing and reading, but mostly writing. I do have a new release coming up. Um, ETA is October. It could be earlier than that, but I'm trying to give myself some time and not freak myself out. But I am nearing the end of writing, and so I feel comfortable announcing that the Neverlist will be coming in the fall. Like I said, ETA is October. I have been posting some snips and samples and teasers to my blog on Sundays for the hashtag Sunday sample and decided today, why don't I pull out the microphone and get some practice recording and record my samples for the bookcast. And that way they are just there if you want a little teaser and uh, get something to look forward to. So I'm going to go back and record the samples that I've already posted and the ones that I post before publication. I'll post those as well. In case you didn't know, the Neverlist is going to come to the bookcast first. I'll be posting probably in chunks of two to four chapters at a time. The book will also be available through um, Amazon, Nook, Kobo, etc., I'm not going to do Kindle Unlimited for this book, I don't think. Um, I'm just going to go wide with it since it's already going to be in audio. Um, so if you don't want to listen along, you can always order the book and read it at your leisure. I, in fact, encourage and request both. But let me go ahead and read the blurb to this book and get on with our teaser. Again, the Neverlist will be coming in fall of 2020, and I hope this sparks some interest. Here's our blurb. The slowest burn. Late bloomer Esme Whitaker has held out on an important right, opting to wait for just the right person at just the right time. Her recent glow-up has been a complete transformation, an advanced degree, a home purchase, a new wardrobe and hairstyle, and a renewed lease on life. Amid all of her accomplishments, there are a slew of things she's never done. Her Neverlist contains ten adventures to complete. Eat an exotic food, ride a horse, play an extreme sport, swim in the ocean, and have sex. On the cusp of her 40th birthday, the time is now. All she needs is the right man. But when a date with a potential love interest goes very, very wrong, she's rescued by a tall, bearded, stylish gentleman. What could have been so wonderful fizzles instantly. The vibe between them crackles with animosity. Sometimes, though, you get a second chance to make a first impression. Trey Pettigrew has one job. Keep his father, CEO of Pettigrew Construction, happy during recovery from a heart attack. What should have been a simple transaction with a small company derails. And when Trey is forced to leave the negotiation table to thwart a mugging, his life turns sideways. In a twist of fate, the specialist hired to put the project back on track is the woman that he'd rescued the week before. With her sharp tongue and sexy curves etched into his memory, Trey hopes that he can make up for his behavior the first time they met. 
Esme is bright, tenacious, and unrelenting at the contract's table, and her no-nonsense attitude about after-hours pursuits puts that idea to bed. Until Trey happens upon her never list. Two people determined to accomplish what they've set out to do can find a way to meet in the middle, right? The plan for every never list item that Trey helps Esme clear, Esme helps Trey come closer to closing his company's acquisition. But you know what they say about the best laid plans, because while they're each focused on personal gain, neither plans to fall in love. This book will be available in fall of 2020. I will update with release dates release details as they come, of course, as I do. And so I want to begin by reading the first sample that I posted a few weeks ago, give you a little taste of Trey and Esme. If you look back on my blog, you'll also see I posted the first two chapters of this book and my Pinterest link so you can see what my inspirations are and what I'm thinking as far as Trey's condo and Esme's house and what they drive and what they listen to and what they read, I have to kind of fall in love with the characters in order to write them authentically. And so a way that I do that is to curate information about them so they're whole human people in my brain. And sometimes after I get done writing, I'm a little sad that they don't exist. That's normal, right? All right, let's go on with our sample. You hungry? Trey asked around 7.30. I stretched, bobbing my head from side to side to work out the kinks in my neck. I took in the view of the room from the conference table covered in documents to Trey's notepad that was covered in doodles, but no actual notes. I've hit a wall. Let's call it a night and meet tomorrow, and please come with a yes in your pocket. It'll make things so much easier. I have a yes in my pocket, he quipped. I tried not to laugh, but honestly knew it was coming as soon as it left my mouth. He just seemed the type to have a comeback to anything slightly suggestive. Just not for any of this stuff. I asked if you were hungry. I have leftover pizza at home. I paused, offering a miniature olive branch. But thank you. Leftover pizza? One side of his mouth curled up in a sneer. Only college kids eat leftover pizza. Let me buy you dinner. Payback for bugging the shit out of you all day. I'm okay. Thank you again. You don't like for people to do for you, do you? My hands, which had been occupied by gathering all of my notepads and pens, not to mention copies of the contract, stilled again. Do for me? I repeated. Yeah. He leaned in his chair, tipping so he was in a near recline. You don't like for folks to be nice to you. That's nonsense. I resumed packing up. I let people be nice to me. I don't need you to be nice to me. I chuckled while drawing the lid down on the laptop and tucking away my copies of the acquisition contracts. I wouldn't be signed anytime soon. We were on day two of this process and Trey was being as stubborn as he'd always been. Pettigrew would pay six million, no more. Miller was asking ten. Pettigrew would employ a maximum of 15 Miller employees. Miller wanted guarantees for 20 employees and generous severance for those not extended employment. Miller also wanted continued health care for furloughed employees as a result of the transaction between the two companies. 
Pettigrew would only offer full benefits for the employees that were being brought over to Pettigrew and the minimum allowable by law for furloughed employees. Miller wasn't leaving anyone out in the cold. Pettigrew wasn't in the business of being benevolent, so the idea that he was trying to be nice was laughable. One of my boys from college just opened a steak and sushi spot out by Perimeter Mall. High class. Would you care to join me? I picked up my bag. Homemade, leftover pizza is calling my name. Suit yourself. Trey pushed himself up from the chair, then walked to the conference room door and opened it. I brushed past him, my nose catching the light but decadent notes of his cologne. He was corny and annoying, but he had great taste. I'm sure you know this, but you're not hard on the eyes. Bet you can find someone to join you. I shot over my shoulder. Besides, I don't eat sushi. Don't eat sushi? His voice took on a high pitch. I continued through the hall toward the front door, refusing to turn around. Who doesn't eat sushi? Me. I don't eat sushi. I set the alarm, then pushed against the heavy front door at Miller Design and, with a grunt, managed to swing it open. Trey followed into the thick evening air. The skies were dark and the cicadas were out, making the evening a little noisy, a lot humid. I twisted my key in the lock and double-checked to make sure the door was locked tight and that the alarm had switched on. Why don't you eat sushi? It's good for you. Fish, rice, seaweed, it smells like standing water. Have you ever tried it? I shuddered, turning to walk to my car. Have I eaten food that smells like... The tip of my shoe caught a crack in the pavement and, too late, I tried to correct myself. For the second time in as many weeks, I found myself sprawled out on the pavement with a figure hulking over me, offering help to get up. You have terrible luck, he commented. Might want to ask the universe what's up with your chi or whatever. Get some kind of aura cleansing. Embarrassed, I maneuvered to my feet without his help and picked up my bag, which had, once again, spread my life out into a parking lot. I collected several items and shoved them back inside the bag, double-checking to be sure I had grabbed my wallet this time. You okay? I know you can take a hit, but I thought I would ask anyway. I'm fine. Oh, wait, you forgot something. He bent to pick up a folded piece of notepaper. Looks like a grocery list. Shit. I'll take that. I marched toward him, hand outstretched. Ooh, looks like someone has a bucket list. Number 10, he read, from the portion of the list that had been unfolded. Take a roller coaster or amusement park ride. His eyes rose from the page, sheer mirth in them. You've never ridden a Ferris wheel? There's one right downtown. Exactly how old are you? It doesn't matter. Give me that paper tray. Is eat sushi on this list? You've clearly never had good sushi. Could I have that, please? His eyes returned to the page. Number nine, swim in the ocean. Okay, that's understandable, but he's only satisfied. Tybee Island, Myrtle Beach, even Hilton Head are hours away. What else? He began to unfold the rest of the page. My stress level catapulted to catastrophic levels. Give me the goddamn piece of paper, Mr. Pettigrew. I screeched, knowing that my nose flared and my eyes were wild, but damn it. I tried to be nice. It worked. He froze for a few beats folded it closed, and offered it to me. You call me Mr. Pettigrew when you get emotional. I am not emotional, I hissed, snatching the folded page away from him. I'm pissed. 
which is an emotion. Look, you're shaking. And I was. I was also in no mood to be psychoanalyzed by Trey Pettigrew. Good night, Mr. Pettigrew, I muttered, and turned back toward the car. I unlocked it with a key fob and flopped inside, dumping my bag on the passenger seat. Trey stood outside the car, watching me flounce around in a pissy fit. Call me Trey. And try to be on time tomorrow. Don't take the interstate. Take the back roads until you get to... You know what you can do, Trey? I punched the ignition button. Shut the fuck up. I slammed the car into reverse, pulled out of my parking space and changed gears, smashing the gas pedal so hard the tires squealed as I pulled away. That was the first sample from The Neverlist, my forthcoming kind of funny, romantic, contemporary, black love literary thing I'm doing. <laughs> I forgot what I was saying, but I am not editing that out. If you look back on my blog, you'll find the list to this book on Goodreads. I implore you to please add it to your to-be-read list, and I hope that you're looking forward to this title. Trey and Esme are super fun to write. Um, Y'all know I love um, a snappy heroine and a guy that's like, look, lady, it's your world. I just live in it. So I hope you'll join me next time for our next sample. And then hopefully somewhere toward the end of September, early October, you will see the Never List on the shelves and on the bookcast. Until then, be good to yourselves. Thank you.